0: This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Today's episode is one of the group of episodes in which I have some updates to make. The website stephenjtregar.com no longer exists. So instead, every time I mention stephenjtregar.com, know that you should go to alexandrianmedia.org instead. I apologize for any confusion, but it is part of the process in transferring the Composer Chronicles over into my new company, Alexandrian Media. So just remember, anytime that I use stephenjtregar.com, just go to alexandrianmedia.org instead. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Hey there, I wanted to catch you at the top of the episode to let you know that my Patreon page is changing its name and URL. Rather than the page saying Stephen Trigar, and the URL ending with Stephen J. Trigar, the page is fully transitioning over to The Composer Chronicles. All members of the Patreon page will continue to enjoy all the same benefits as before, including early access to ad-free versions of every episode, access to the Patreon podcast unscripted, and all other benefits one can find at higher levels. So, if you are listening to this episode, and you hear me reference patreon.com slash Stephen J. Trigar, that is no longer a valid URL, as I have changed it over to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you on my Patreon page. This week on The Composer Chronicles, I'm going to be discussing Hector Berlioz's relationship and life around the time of the composition of Symphony Fantastique and Lelio. At the end of the last episode, I had only mentioned Symphony Fantastique as part of Lelio's troubled youth but there is also the composition of Lelio that is also important to that as well without further ado here is episode number 4 love and murder <laughs> thing. It can influence our interactions with everyone around us and infiltrates our other emotions whether we know it or not. The love we have for our families and closest friends can give us a sense of belonging and pervade our defensive nature if any one of them were to get hurt physically or emotionally. On the other side, we have the capacity to fall in love with people that we barely know and are familiar with them just by their work or proximity to us. Think about your significant other or your partner and try to remember what it was that drew you to them and the first time you felt the butterflies in your stomach when thinking about or being with them. Both forms of love can be healthy and have a positive influence on our well-being, but love is temperamental. It can snap and rot very quickly if not treated with proper care. Although it has changed its face, this tainted love still has our emotions squeezed in its clutches, and it is reflected in our actions. The composition of Symphony Fantastique and Lelio are the results of Hector Berlioz's perverse infatuations, shattered heart, and soured love. His obsession, risky courtship, An unstable marriage with Irish actress Harriet Smithson paved the way for the psychedelic dream that frames Berlioz's first symphony and shines light on the inner thoughts of an erratic man. Berlioz's dark tale continues as he nearly spirals out of control. Jealous and enraged by the betrayal of his betrothed Marie Mouk, a woman who was to be his wife, he attempted to exact his revenge on her and her cohorts. With vengeance in his grasp, he lets go of his anger and takes out his frustration on a new composition instead. A work for narrator, soloists, chorus, and orchestra, titled Lelio, or The Return to Life, a sequel to the famed symphony that still captivates its audiences. Symphony Fantastique and Lelio are not just programmatic works that Berlioz used to blow off steam from his tumultuous love life. They are extensions of the man himself who nearly condemned himself to prison or worse until the very last moment. Their programs are not just fantastical dreams and Shakespearean musings, they are pseudo-autobiographical reports that expose Berlioz's private life and inner demons. Demons that would nearly persuade a young man to commit murder. I am Stephen J. Trigar. And this is the Composer Chronicles. A young musician, whose unhealthily romantic heart has been shattered by the love of his life, seeks to mend his heart by indulging in a copious amount of opium. His heavy dosage is not enough to cause death, but the musician plunges into a coma accompanied by fantastical and extraordinary dreams. In this state, his senses, feelings, and visions take the form of music. But there is a melody that repeatedly returns in every scene. The musician follows the melody, and in it he finds his beloved. At first, his mind races with thoughts of unease and discomfort of the condition he has put himself into. Feelings of joy, longing, and depression present themselves without cause. But the appearance of his beloved sets his mind to rest. At first, her appearance reminds him of his passionate love for her but her visage only reawakens his raging jealousy. A scene of a ball materializes around him. He stands in the middle of the ballroom as the shapes of dancers twirl around him amidst the glitter of a brilliant festival. He finds his beloved once again across the room, but his approach causes the scene to dissolve. The musician finds himself standing in the Swiss countryside on a warm summer evening. Two young shepherds pass by, playing a tune in alternation to call their flocks back home. As they play, the wind softly blows through the trees, and they seem to whisper prospects of hope, serenity, and rest into his ears, and the musician smiles. He blinks, and with the opening of his eyes, he sees her once again. His heart stops beating and refills with the pain of her treachery. As the sun begins to set, one of the shepherds resumes playing, but the other does not answer. Instead, the tune is echoed by thunder rolling in the distance, and the musician begins to realize how alone he is. He murders his beloved, and his vision transforms as he realizes he is being led to the scaffold after being condemned to death for his crime. As he marches, he remembers his beloved, and her melody returns to comfort him as the blade delivers its fatal blow. His head rolls down the scaffold and meets the rest of his body, surrounded by monsters, demons, and evil spirits who have come to dance with witches on his grave at his funeral. The witch's sabbath produces inexplicable sounds that are answered by the groans and laughter of horrible creatures. In the distance, he can hear the music of his beloved playing. But she has come to the sabbath, her melody twisted and distorted, to join the witches in their dance. As the bells toll for the dead, the musician realizes that his fate is inescapable. The musician, named Lelio wakes from his slumber with a start. It was only a dream, but he is tortured by the images of murdering his beloved and her dancing on his grave. Were these dreams his true feelings? or were they just instigated by the opium that put him to sleep. Lelio tries to remember if he cried out for his friend Horatio in his coma, but his letter to his friend remains on the table as he left it before drifting off. While he wrote his final farewell to his dear friend, Lelio recalls hearing Horatio playing the piano and singing his favorite ballad. Horatio wrote this ballad five years ago, imitating Goethe, and Lelio wrote the music. His heart breaks a little more as the music plays in his mind. His thoughts transition from the ballad to Shakespeare's Hamlet. As he muses over his fascination with the play, the music in his mind softly creeps into his thoughts. The music takes over and he listens to it intently for a short while before lying down on a daybed and taking up a book to read. After reading and meditating for a while, his thoughts float to the life of Shakespeare, which is a mystery to him. Frustrated that the world cannot see Shakespeare's genius, when it stands before them, he throws down his book upon the table and he grabs his soldier uniform and weapons and pantomimes the musical scene of a brigand captain in his mind after exclaiming his desires to go to the Kingdom of Naples or Calabria, even if just a simple brigand. As the music in his mind comes to an end, he becomes frightened of his emotional and mental state. His mind is floating too uncertainly, and he is still plagued by intoxicating dreams To calm himself, he thinks of his future, calm and peaceful. As he thanks his guardian angel, he gives in to the reverie, a performance of him singing his own song, Song of Happiness. His sadness comes creeping back into his heart as the hymn ends. This song reminds him of Juliet and Ophelia, woman that his heart calls to, but he cannot have her. His mind sinks into a new tune that enters his thoughts, a tune that will hopefully help him to forget, but his sinking depression is lifted upon realizing that he has survived his suicide attempt. He has been given another chance at life and he will not waste another moment in anguish. He picks up a pen and paper and begins to write a new piece of music, a fantasy on Shakespeare's play, The Tempest, He brings the finished product to an orchestra and sets the stage for a rehearsal. He hastily gives directions to the orchestra and the choir to ensure that his new work will triumph. After everything is in order, he signals to the conductor to begin rehearsal, and when it has been played through, he is amazed by the execution, precision, and warmth of the musician's performance. Elated and at peace. He prepares to leave the hall, but he stops short as the tune of his beloved emerges from his dreams. This is a story told by Berlioz through his symphony fantastique and Lelio. I chose to recount them before providing historical context because of how intertwined their combined narrative is to the composer's life. The unhealthily romantic musician can easily be replaced with Berlioz, and Symphony Fantastique then becomes a musical exposé of his unrequited love for Harriet Smithson. The beloved of the symphony's narrative can also be Marie Moke, if Berlioz were to complete the work following the events of their broken engagement. However, Berlioz made it clear that Symphony Fantastique was about Smithson and Lelio was inspired by his relationship with Moke before changing Lelio's narrative to fit Smithson into it instead and make the two works more coherent. Following a word from today's sponsor, I will unveil the unsettling and horrifying truths of Berlioz's life, making the narrative of these two works all the more sinister. It's a brand new year, and you know what that means. It's time for us to reflect upon the past year and to set new goals. If you're someone who sets New Year's resolutions and never sticks to them, make this year a year you stick to those resolutions, especially if one of them is to live a healthier lifestyle. If you're like me, I spent so much of 2020 stuck inside my apartment. I couldn't go to the gym And most of the exercise I did was just walking around my neighborhood. What else could I do? I had no equipment, and at most I had a slight knowledge of minimal equipment exercising from my days in CrossFit. But even then, those were a bit much. When I found Roy Belzer Fitness, that was when everything changed. Every weekday, I wake up with an email in my inbox containing a new workout video. And I can do that workout whenever my busy schedule allows. Better yet, in these videos, Roy does the workouts with us, so his words of encouragement mean all the more to me who is sweating up a storm. But Roy Belser Fitness isn't just a daily workout routine. It's a community, a shoulder to lean on, and a body-positive space where all are welcome and are free from judgment. Via a private Facebook community, Every student gets to share their own journeys and encourage others to keep going. We all get to engage with each other every day, sharing sweaty selfies after workouts, nutrition tips and recipes, and posts that keep us accountable for one another. When you sign up for Roy's class, you not only get to join this incredible group of people to keep you accountable, you also get a free nutrition guide and the opportunity to win incredible prizes like free memberships and cash prizes. You can get back on your weight loss and fitness journeys right now when you sign up for Roy Belzer Fitness. Just go to roybelzerfitness.com slash sign up or click on the link in the show notes and use the code CRONPODCAST at checkout to get 10% off your first month of classes. Again, that's roybelzerfitness.com slash sign up and use the code CRONPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your first month. This new year, let's stick to our new year's resolutions together. Join me and a wonderful community of like-minded individuals living healthier lifestyles in a body-positive space with Roy Bellzer Fitness. September 11, 1827, Berlioz attended a performance of Shakespeare's Hamlet at the theater now known as odeon theater de l'Europe in Paris. At that performance, Harriet Smithson played the role of Ophelia, and Berlioz fell madly in love with her the moment he saw her on the stage. Around the same time, he saw Smithson perform as Juliet in Shakespeare's romantic tragedy Romeo and Juliet as Smithson was touring with a company headed by Charles Kemble. Although Berlioz barely spoke any English, these productions not only ignited his infatuation with Smithson, they also sparked his fascination with the works of Shakespeare. Following that September evening, Berlioz began writing letters to Smithson, proclaiming his admiration for her, but she never returned any of his letters. Unsuccessful in wooing her, he briefly moved into an apartment across the street from where she was staying while on tour. Here he would see her return home and watch her until she would fall asleep. He would wildly wander through the streets of Paris, trying to think of ways to get her to notice him. He was just a simple man with nothing to prove his worth. So on May 26, 1828, Berlioz would put together the first concert of his music. Despite some serious setbacks, such as losing a great deal of money from the lack of audience members, his first concert ended with rapturous applause, and he was showered in praise by the audience and critics. Now he was famous, and he would use it at advantage and win over her love. Smithson would not recognize his new fame, and would continue to ignore his letters. She continued to receive them for several years. And she would eventually leave Paris for Holland to continue her tour with the company. Berlioz kept tabs on her whereabouts, and in 1830, he heard of her success in London, and began to spiral out of control over his love for her. To express his overflowing emotions, he would finally write his programmatic symphony fantastique, revealing to the world, whether they knew it or not, his poisonous love for her. Berlioz's obsession with Smithson began to subside. He heard from a friend that a piece of scandalous libel about her had been released, and instead of taking comfort in his obsession being over, he left Paris and wandered through the country fields, nearly killing himself of starvation and exhaustion. He collapsed in a field and finally slept, something Berlioz had barely any of since meeting Smithson. Two days later. Berlioz returned to his friends. They had all jumped to the conclusion that he had died, and they went searching for clues of his death. Instead, here he was, alive and claiming that he was better and moving on from his infatuation. Berlioz would quickly fall in love with another woman named Marie-Camille Moke, a pianist that even rivaled the talented Franz Liszt. Rebellius would propose to Moke, and the two would become happily engaged. Moke's mother, with good reason, objected to their engagement. By the time of their engagement, the Symphony Fantastique had not been premiered, but it would be soon in December of that year. At that premiere, the symphony would be a massive success. Critics expressed their shock and delight of the work, and the concert would end with thunderous applause. The symphony's premiere would become a landmark for both the composer's career and the evolution of the modern symphony orchestra. Liszt would be at that concert on December 5th, 1830, and was so impressed by it that he wrote his own piano transcription to perform at his recitals in order to publicize the work even further. Smithson would be unaware of the piece that inspired Berlioz's unrequited love for her, despite her being in Paris at that time. For a play that she was in. As a winner of the Prix de Rome, a prestigious French art scholarship that awarded its winners a bursary to study in Rome, Berlioz departed for Italy after the premiere of the Symphonie Fantastique. He was 27 years old at the time, and he would be studying at the French Academy in Rome, housed at the Villa Medici for the next two years. Within the first three weeks, Berlioz received a letter from Marie Mogue's mother that accused him of bringing sorrow into her family, and that Marie was now to marry the older and richer suitor, Camille Playel, the heir to the Playel Piano Manufacturing Company. Without consent to leave and without telling anyone, Berlioz set off for Paris to exact his revenge upon the two faithless women and the innocent men who had been a pawn in Madame Mogue's plans. He acquired poisons, pistols, and a disguise along the way, as he was planning to murder the newly engaged couple and a hippopotam, translating to the hippopotamus, a name that he called Marie's mother in private. After he would kill them, he intended on committing suicide, shooting a gun at his own head. He wrote his last will on the carriage ride to Pietre Santa, but along the way, he lost his chambermaid disguise. He had to wait for another one to be made before continuing his journey, but he would not get any closer to Paris than Genoa. He apparently had a second near-death experience that cured him of his evil thoughts, and he successfully sought permission to return to the Villa Medici. On his return home, Belios once again vented out his damning thoughts through another composition, a piece for narrator, soloist, chorus, and orchestra, titled, Le Retour à la Vie, translated as, The Return to Life. This piece would be later retitled, Lelio. After his time in Rome came to an end, Berlioz presented a concert of his works at the Paris Conservatoire. The program of this concert included the Overture to Les Francs Juges, a heavily revised symphonie fantastique, followed by Lélio, as Berlioz had intended for Lélio to immediately follow the symphony. Through a third party, Berlioz invited Smithson to attend this performance. She returned to Paris in order to establish a permanent English theatre there, and why she accepted the invitation is unclear. What is clear is that she immediately knew that she was the beloved in both works. Berlioz had altered the text of Lelio to closely resemble the beloved in his Symphony fantastique. Honored, she sent word to Berlioz to congratulate him and to allow him to come and visit her. They quickly became lovers. Ignoring both of their family's opposition, they were engaged and married in the British Embassy in Paris in October of 1833. Ten months later, their first and only child, Louis Clement Tamas, was born. By then, Smithson's career was on the decline, Poor performances between 1832 and 1833 would ruin her career, and she would fall into immense debt. After her marriage to Berlioz, she never learned to speak French, and this stunted her professional and social growth. Jealous of her husband's rapidly growing success, she became possessive and even ill, pushing Berlioz away from her and into the arms of another woman. As her health deteriorated, She took to drinking heavily, and her suspicions of Berlioz's infidelity would only grow. He began his affair with this new suspected woman, Marie Reggio, a singer at the Paris Opera, who would become his second wife after he and Smithson separated in 1843. Berlioz would financially support Smithson, keeping her in their home in Montmartre, and he would move in with his new lover in her apartment in Paris. He would not marry Reccio until Smithson died in 1854, feeling it was his duty to give his son Louis a mother. He remained devoted to Recio until she too passed away eight years later. This episode of the Composer Chronicles was written, researched, and produced by me Stephen J. Trigar. Links to the music and sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on stephenjtrigar.com. You can follow the Composer Chronicles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cron Podcast. That's C-H-R-O-N Podcast. Also, you can become a member of the podcast on Patreon. There you will get ad-free episodes of the podcast and member-only articles that expand on the topics discussed in each episode. Click on the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash Stephen J. Trigar. Don't forget to rate and review The Composer Chronicles. The best place to do that is on Apple Podcasts. Next time, Finnish composer Gene Sibelius had a strong tie to his Symphony No. 5. Inspired by the majestic migration of swans over his house, the birds and the symphony would be important to him until the very end. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.